The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Pain, torment, and torture. Cruelty, brutality, and violence. The twisted psyches. Murder, and yes, even the ability to charm people. Take a deep dive into the terrifying real serial murderers, spree killers, and true faces of evil. They prey on the innocent with a malicious desire to inflict damage and harm. They hunt and stalk misfortunate victims in the dark, in broad daylight, in quiet neighborhoods, and in the local woods. Their bloodthirst isn't satisfied after their first kill, or their second or third. Tonight, we'll look at the horrifying stories of several killers, including such notorious homicidal maniacs as John Wayne Gacy, Ted Bundy, and Jeffrey Dahmer. But we'll also look at lesser-known and overlooked murderers. What makes a seemingly ordinary person stalk, torture, and murder their fellow human beings? Are serial killers born or made? What is the difference between a serial killer and a spree killer? Is it possible that you could know a serial killer? We'll also discuss the tool and what to do to mitigate and or prevent falling prey to a serial killer. Caution is advised before entering the alarming world of twisted psychos and sociopaths. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Richard Estep is the author of 20 books, most of them in the field of paranormal nonfiction, including The Hunting of Asylum 49, Chilling Tales of Aggressive Spirits, Phantom Doctors, and The Secret of Room 666. He's a regular columnist for Haunted Magazine and has also written for the Journal of Emergency Medical Services. His lifelong fascination for ghosts has led him to investigate haunted locations around the world for the past 25 years. Richard appears regularly on the TV shows Haunted Case Files, Haunted Hospitals, Paranormal 911, and Paranormal Night Shift. His latest book is titled Serial Killers, The Minds, Methods, and Mayhem of History's Most Notorious Murderers. British by birth, Richard now makes his home in Colorado, a few miles north of Denver, where he serves as a paramedic. Hello, Richard, and welcome to Veritas. Good evening. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. Richard, you have written many books in the past. What was your main reason for writing a book about serial killers? Well, the main reason is that I've written several books. Well, let me back up. I'm, I'm perhaps um, best known for writing about the paranormal, haunted places, locations, things like that. And several of them had been uh, murder scenes, such as 
the Velisca Axe Murder House uh, in Iowa. Um, we also have uh, Fox Hollow Farm in Indiana, which was home to Herb Baumeister, one of America's lesser known serial killers. Uh, and I found this fascinating. I'd also looked at the John Wayne Gacy case uh, and written about the paranormal aspects of that. And so it seemed like I was inching towards the realm of, of true crime writing and, and the subject of serial killers specifically. Uh, and it seemed the next logical step to take to, to address that from a purely non-paranormal point of view. Are serial killers easy to identify? Well, I think when you look at the reasons why murders are committed, um, if you discount those that are done purely for profit in terms of a stranger is killed during a robbery or a serial killer is killing for enjoyment, um, the vast majority of them would tend to be cases in which the victim and the perpetrator have some kind of relationship uh, because a motive has to exist between those two individuals. So um, the first person that is that falls under suspicion is usually the spouse or significant other. Um, that's almost always who the detectives look at first. What are some of the common traits serial killers share? Well, one of the most common is the ability to depersonalize um, other human beings and not see them as human beings, to not be able to empathize with them in any way, shape, or form, to look at, you know, to, to even consider uh, torturing somebody or, or, or taking their life in cold blood, um, the garish, grotesque ways that many of these murderers um, uh, inflict pain upon other human beings, you have to not see them as something that is equal to yourself, you know, or if you do, you have to take a perverse delight in inflicting misery and suffering on that person. So the ability to depersonalize, I think, is fairly common to see others as something less than human um, or to divorce oneself from the, the, the empathy that many people have naturally. Um, on a more pragmatic level, it's, it's the majority of serial killers are males, but there are definitely still females that do kill. And um, I would say that a lot of the males tended to be overly pampered as children, um, often by mothers. So raised by uh, mothers who they were the apple of their eye and they could almost do no wrong. They were very privileged from a young age. But at the opposite end of the scale, you would see um, those serial killers that just came from broken homes and knew nothing but abuse and misery and uh, suffering themselves as uh, children. And that, that kind of plays into the, the truism that hurt people hurt people. Um, so there are those. It's also interesting to me that I found several that had sustained serious head injuries, serious head trauma. Um, Frederick West from the Cromwell Street House of Horrors, Nanny Doss, the Giggling Granny, both sustained um, serious traumatic brain injuries due to accidents. Um, and uh, their behavior changed somewhat after sustaining that head trauma. I found that to be very, first of all, the contrast of what you just said, the those who grew up with a, an abusive household versus the ones that are extremely pampered, especially by the mother. But now we have the concussion aspect. And you would think that with the advancement of psychology and psychiatry, that this could be more prevalent, that this knowledge would be more prevalent in, in the mainstream. And it, I don't think it is. No, and, and I wouldn't say it was a concussion as such. I mean, a concussion is a temporary condition. 
we are looking at more significant traumatic brain injuries with perhaps longer term consequences uh, where we see personality changes. You know, we see behavioral changes. The, the true heart of this debate is nature versus nurture. And it is one that has raged for, for hundreds of years. You know, are we all born with the capacity to do something monstrous? Is it just waiting for the right circumstances to come out in us? Um, is it a product of our situation, our environment? Um, or are some people just wired that way? And I think that's probably the most fascinating aspect of this. Why do some people do this and why do others not? Well, that why was do my, the majority not? That was my next question. Can someone be born with the uh, wired to do this? Or are they triggered either by trauma, uh, you know, head trauma or abuse? Is it normal? I mean, I, I guess it's not normal, obviously, because otherwise it, everybody would be doing it. But is, is somebody born without any of this, with, without the, 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 the super affection from the mother, the abuse or the head trauma? Are they capable? Are they wired? To, are some people wired to do this? That's a great question, isn't it? If you took someone who was a child that was perfectly well adjusted, um, uh, relatively healthy and stable emotionally, and if you place them in a suitably abusive environment, would you then see um, see them grow up to become a sadistic killer? On the other hand, if you had someone that was predisposed toward that, but you gave them a loving and supportive environment, would they go on and lead a perfectly happy, healthy, normal life? That's the great question. I tend to think, though, that serial killers are probably more like um, the perfect storm, if you will. A great many factors come together to create one. I think there's a genetic component. I think there's a psychological component. I think that the formative years... Um, a great deal of everybody's personality is set between the ages one and six. So um, the formative years are, are going to be a huge part of it as well. Uh, and other factors I think that, that we can't foresee yet. I want to dissect all of this, no pun intended, based on the topic that we're discussing. But when you think of the past and the fact that we didn't have cell phones to track people, we didn't have the Internet, and a lot of this was done in hiding they could uh, get away with literally with murder. But now we have everybody has a cell phone. We have technology everywhere. But at the same time, we have so much technology where children are bullied on a daily basis. Uh, we have uh, uh, the prevalence of porn websites everywhere for free. And they don't even discern if it, who's an adult, who's a child. That rewires children's brains. Do you think that this might contribute to, to the perpetuity of serial killers? I think that the effects of the, the wired world on children and adults are not yet fully understood because it hasn't existed long enough. We all know, though, that the effects are going to be profound just from personal experience. I mean, I can't speak for you, but if I'm separated from my cell phone for 15 minutes, I start to twitch. <laughs> you know, and, and that's a concept I would have laughed at just five years ago. But we've become, it's become this ingrained Pavlovian response in us now. And, you know, speaking as someone who's a bullied child himself, um, if you are bullied at school, uh, at least you can go home at four o'clock and close the door behind you and you have some respite. But now children are being cyberbullied 24 hours a day. There is no hiding place. Um, there is also no hiding place from the 24-hour news cycle. So I think that we are seeing more people. And the book I write, have written, 
really does distinguish between spree killers and serial killers. The spree killer is somebody who essentially goes on a rampage um, and kills a large number of people in a short amount of time, as opposed to a serial killer who is killing people repeatedly over a longer time frame and usually singularly, you know? Um, but I think in all those cases, we have this constant barrage of information, much of it negative, and emotional psychological disorders are at an all-time high. Anxiety is at an all-time high. And we, we have the ability now to depersonalize one another as we've never had before. Um, if you just look at, the, I won't bring politics into the show, but if you look at the way people have behaved in the recent election here in the States, you know, we have seen some of the most awful things uh, said uh, to, to other human beings, things you would never dream of saying in person, but the security of doing it from behind a keyboard or a cell phone um, allows people to do that. So I think the the wired world is very much a blessing and a curse, a double-edged sword at the same time. And I think it is certainly causing psychological changes, the ramifications of which are only just starting to be understood. Well, it's not only the last election, I would say the last four years or even more. Uh, we see this, everybody hiding behind their alias, behind a computer, something that would not have happened 25 years ago. Uh, but anyway, phantom limb, as you said, uh, right now, some people who say that they forget their cell phone, uh, they keep it in their pocket, but all of a sudden they feel a vibration thinking that it's their cell phone. It's like a phantom limb. But anyway, let's begin with uh, Chrome Street. Let's start diving into these cases. Chrome Street, House of Horrors, Fred and Rosemary. What a story. Tell us more. Well, I think you're talking about Cromwell Street. Um, right, Cromwell right. Street. Cromwell Street, correct. Yeah, Cromwell Street in, in Gloucester, uh, England. And this was a, a particularly awful situation. Um, it became known as the House of Horrors. That phrase was coined by the media. And they were 100% correct as well. This wasn't sensationalism. Because a couple named Fred and Rose West, both of whom had murderous tendencies, um, had gotten together and had begun murdering um, young women and sexually abusing and then murdering young women, including their own child um, in and around their house in Cromwell Street, Gloucester. Uh, so this happened about 30 years ago in the UK. Um, they were both extremely sadistic. And what's interesting is you rarely see couples who kill. It's not a particularly frequent phenomenon. Um, what you often have is one dominant partner and one that is more submissive, you know, that is kind of under the spell um, of the, the more charismatic or overbearing, more dominant um, partner of the two. In this case, it was believed that Frederick West um, was, was the more dominant partner, and that was certainly the, the approach that his wife's defense took in court. But the more evidence that came to light, it began to look as though Rosemary West, the, the female in that relationship, um, was far more vindictive and, uh, and twisted than her husband, which was really saying something. And so they killed a, a multitude of young girls um, over the space of about a decade in the United Kingdom. And, and as I said, they buried them um, beneath their house and disposed of the bodies in fields and places like that. Um, and it, they, were, they were finally caught when it was noticed that uh, their daughter had disappeared and they had made jokes about with the other children that if they uh, if they misbehaved they joined their sister underneath the patio 
That's what they were told. And, and the Wests would laugh about this. And of course, she really was buried underneath the patio. She'd been murdered. Um, absolutely awful, awful story. What were the backgrounds of these, this married couple? Well, Fred West was one of those killers that sustained a serious head injury uh, after falling and hitting his head, which I always found very interesting. Um, his, the, the problem with delving into his story is that he would often color his statements and his recollections to try and garner sympathy. So much of what he said uh, should be taken with a grain of salt. And he initially tried to take the rap for much of it and exonerate his wife. Uh, when she cut off communications with him, though, he started to turn. Uh, he got a little bitter about the fact that um, she wasn't uh, appreciative of his noble sacrifices. He saw it. Uh, but uh, the Wests were both very poorly educated individuals, um, barely literate. Um, they grew up in, I'd say, non-traditional households. Uh, violence was a common way to solve problems. Uh, in that part of the country in that time. And both of them were prone to using violence to solve their, their issues. They would, uh, they would resort to, to fists rather than dialogue, uh, which is something you see with a number of murderers. And they, they were both um, sexual deviants, which comes up again and again, and enjoyed inflicting pain um, upon helpless and defenseless victims. And this was something that they shared. They discovered that they shared. Uh, and once the first murder had been committed, they both realized, hey, we're in this together now because if either of us were to talk, um, we would both go to, go to jail for it, go to prison. So they had this kind of um, bond that the murders and the, the macabre secret of, of their victims as they continued to kill people meant that... Um, they were both in it together, if you will. I hope I'm not mixing cases, but wasn't this the couple where she actually preferred to to hack sex and, and, and rape women, and she was more of a lesbian? Uh, am I right? And at one point, the husband wanted to join in sometimes? Yeah, uh, that's right. And, and he was sometimes rebuffed and sometimes would watch uh, Rose have sex with other men or women. Um, through a, a concealed position in their bedroom. And she would videotape it and, and sometimes take money for sexual favors as well. Um, but she also emasculated him on a fairly regular basis, which, of course, just it provoked his temper, his rage. Uh, I think he was scared of her to a degree. Uh, and I also think he was scared of losing her. So in this case, you think she may have been the type A and he was the follower? Yeah, and that's, that's what's interesting about that is I was growing up in the UK when this happened. So I remember very clearly the newspaper stories coming out, especially when the police began digging in the garden uh, at Cromwell Street. And um, everything focused on Fred West. Um, and, and, and of course, this was a, a more sexist time in our history, you know. Um, it's, it, it made sense to a degree, given the, the social mores of the time, that suspicion would fall on the male first. Um, but with hindsight and with more revelations, it's come out that, yeah, she was the more controlling and dominant of the two. Uh, and Fred was, of course, not that it makes him any less guilty at all, um, but, but Fred was more under her spell than she his. Didn't he have experience with construction and he was the one who built the dungeon? Yeah, he did. He built a torture apparatus in the couple's basement. 
uh, and then would go on to bury the bodies of some of the children beneath the floor. Uh, he did all of the, the heavy lifting, the donkey work, if you will, um, which again, you know. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.